Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. We are so excited you're here today for our conversation with Rosemary. Rosemary runs the Instagram account First Gen Riches, where she's on a journey to build first generation wealth. She has a serious passion for educating people on money topics they didn't learn growing up, things like paying off debt, investments, and credit. Today, she shares some great tips on how to get started with investing, the strategy she uses, as well as some money saving hacks that have helped her. If these are things you want to know more about, you're in the right place with today's episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So to kick it off, something we like to ask everyone is, do you remember some of your first experiences with money? Yeah. So I did not grow up with much, but I would say I didn't necessarily perceive a lot of struggle um, in my family. And I, I would say the reason why is because we sort of had a tribe where my mom she was a single mother for most of my childhood, but we had cousins that were older, so they typically took care of me as a child and my other siblings, um, as well as helped her cook and things of that nature. So although she was a single parent, although we were on a low income, I did not necessarily perceive that as a child. But I will say sort of one of my earliest experiences is remembering, this is probably when I was probably like around nine or 10 my mom was very excited that she paid off her JCPenney card. And I didn't understand, like, why, like, what was the big deal? And now she hasn't gotten into store card debt again, but she has gotten into credit card debt again because still not having maybe the appropriate tools and resources, she didn't necessarily focus on building an emergency fund. So when there is a rainy day, when there is some sort of moment where she's strapped for cash, she does tend to use credit cards. I think a lot of people are in that same position. Yeah. It's easy, right? It's like there's a credit line here. You see the balance. You can use it. And it's sort of a trap in a way because the money's not yours. It's just a short-term loan. Yeah. Like you said right there, so accessible to use. So do you remember what your mindset was like growing up and how it's changed over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I would say just viewing the habits of my parents, it was basically sort of like money was something to spend. So paid off a car, got a new car with a loan. And maybe it was even a new car. I don't remember. Um, it could have been a used car, but it was sort of like the need to spend when you had money or let's say income taxes come. So in the United States, we get pretty large tax refunds if you don't set up your W-4 form to take out the appropriate amount of taxes. So you've been overtaxed throughout the year, you get the refund um, around springtime, which is typically when there's a lot of sales, <laughs> right? That's marketed towards you. So I always viewed it as something that was meant to be spent. I didn't necessarily see it as sort of a tool that can open doors for you to build wealth or to save money so you can take time off from work. <laughs> however long you wanted. So I would say that's pretty much how my mindset has changed from something that's only to be spent to something that's more of a tool that can help you build the life that you want for yourself. Did you find when you like got older, whether it was a teenager or early adult, that you 
that you like overspent? Did you end up going yourself into like credit card debt and things like that? Or did you learn from, had you seen your parents struggle with it and then therefore you didn't? I would say I, I opened my first credit card. It was a student card. So I'm very lucky that the limit was $1,500 and not more. And I was pretty good at paying off the balance in full because I read somewhere that that's what you you were supposed to do. And about three months into having that credit card, suddenly my utilization was at 95%. I know the exact moment that made me get comfortable paying the minimum payment. And essentially, Beyonce went on tour. This was in 2016. Um, her best tour, Formation World Tour. And I wanted to go. It was my first time seeing her. I'm a big fan. So I put the ticket on my credit card and I knew I didn't have the money. And then once I saw that I only had to pay $25 the next month, I was like, I can just do this. And I just continued to spend and spend and put that $25 on it. So it basically stayed at that level, that 95% because only paying the minimum payment for a few months until... A year and a half later, when I graduated from college, I transferred the card to a balance transfer card and just paid a 2% fee and paid um, the payment sort of like they were like within the promotional period. So I had 18 months to pay it off. It was only 1500 And I made sure that I paid off the balance before the prom- promotional period ended so that there's no more interest accumulating on that. So I would say I didn't learn from what I saw my parents do. And I would say I didn't necessarily see or understand the habits of my parents until I became an adult. Like I have that memory of paying off the credit card. um, But I do also know that debt was very common and it was something that was being taken out and it was sort of normal in a way. Mm -hmm. When you start reflecting and looking back and realizing the different money habits that you saw, maybe picked up, maybe didn't. It is really interesting to take that time and reflect and, you know, either be grateful that you learned something or be grateful that you didn't learn something. Right. (laughs) So what are some of the things you're doing now in terms of helping other women build first generation wealth? Yeah. So I initially started in the space as a money coach. And part of my motivation there was I found myself helping my friends out answering their questions around sort of their employer retirement plan, around investing, around opening a Roth IRA, things of that nature, paying off debt. And I remember I helped out one of my friends to a point where I got her to just either start budgeting, to start writing down where does her money go when she receives it. And she realized, like, I can actually do things that I enjoy, like going out with my boyfriend or eating out at my favorite restaurants. And I can actually still max out my Roth IRA, which is $6,000 for her and her income level um, as well. I can do both. And I did not realize that because I didn't think it was possible because I didn't see the whole picture. So what was interesting is that she actually bought a, a course, like a coaching course and sort of like gifted it to me, like a, from a business coach. And I went through the program, I understood a bit more, and I thought, like, you know, I'm going to be a money coach. Um, and what I found in my journey was I, fe- I felt a bit unfulfilled because I realized that sort of the pricing mechanism still sort of priced the people out, and I had a goal of serving. So now I've shifted a bit. I'm primarily on Instagram, 
And my goal now, and it may change in a couple months, is to just put people on or educate people on money topics that they did not learn growing up, right? So things like investing, paying off debt, understanding credit. Um, it's interesting. I, I was in a conversation with someone who didn't know that once you miss lose your grace period on a credit card because you've carried a balance and let's say you make a purchase and you pay it off in a day, that interest still applies to that purchase because you lost your grace period, right? It's, it's the little things like that. And spreading that knowledge has really made me feel a bit fulfilled. So that's sort of what I'm doing now to help people. Um, and in the future, what I'm looking to do is offer sort of pay what you can, pay what you choose workshops, where it will be more donation-based. I would seek sort of the community to submit topics of what do you want to deep dive into and just provide a bit more group collective time together. I love that. Yeah, me too. Our education systems are obviously not doing a good job preparing ourselves for being adults with uh, money. So, And it really is a tough space to be a coach in because like, like you were mentioning, things, the, the core financial literacy components are, it's tough to figure out how to price that and without becoming inaccessible. Right. And there's different ways. And, and I really reflected on myself about like, what are my goals? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was more of service than making money. I feel pretty comfortable at the income level that I'm at. And I definitely see the growth in my career in the future. Um, I should also add that I am a board member, board treasurer of a financial literacy nonprofit here in the Raleigh-Durham cool. area. So it's sort oh, of like wow. I already have that service mindset. And I just felt a bit like I wasn't able to be my full self because it was sort of like behind a paywall, right? And I, and I felt like the need to sort of open that to, to everyone that I encounter on First Gen Riches. That's really cool. So on that being accessible, what systemic changes do you think need to take place to make building first generation wealth more realistic for more people? I would say the first thing is sort of preparing people for the workforce. And I say that and not college because college may not be for everyone, right? So this looks like apprenticeship um, programs that allows people to sort of train, learn on the job, and maybe work with their hands because there's some people who are great with their hands, electricians, things of that nature. People don't realize that sort of these labor jobs can bring in six figures of income. It can definitely take care of families. Um, I think that sometimes we tend to think of, let's go to college and get a corporate job. And that's the only way to have money to build wealth. So sort of like the programs to prepare you for the quote unquote real world. I will also add clearing off student debt, student loan debt, I feel like it's very important. It's not something that will help the majority of people because not everyone is college educated. However, I still believe that the student loan should be erased and sort of making college more affordable as well. Totally. I will also say I am a fan of a wealth tax. I don't necessarily get into the nitty gritty, but I do think that billionaires existing is shouldn't be a thing and they should be taxed more than they really are. As well as even though I do work in tech, I think tech companies also should be taxed if you're earning over a billion dollars in a year. Um, I think some of that needs to be taxed and sort of used to 
maybe fund some of these programs such as apprenticeships or um, investing in early childhood education as well. Wasn't there, I think it was the social network. I don't know if you guys saw that movie, but there was something that was saying like the tech company's biggest assets are data and it's the only asset that no one's ever taxed on in the States or something like that. I think I have seen that. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Anyone who uses social media, it's like, we are the products here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's how we use it for quote unquote free. And it's, it's interesting, interesting dilemma for sure. But yeah, that's true. Um, it's not being taxed. And even though we love it, we enjoy it. There's definitely a widening wealth gap that's existing. And it's sort of the rich getting richer, the middle class sort of struggling and the the lower middle, lower class sort of just making it by. And yeah, for that reason, I feel like tax, some form of taxation at the top is probably necessary. It's interesting, too, with everything that's happening with COVID, like the service-based industries being so much harder hit than, you know, professional services and, and things like that. It's it's going to be really probably terrifying to see how much more extreme the wealth gap gets over the next two years as a result of the pandemic and how the government will or won't intervene and, and stuff like that. Right. I agree. It's interesting because I remember probably... I don't know, this is a high school or college hearing that projections that in probably 2030 or 2040, the United States would be primarily a gig economy. And it's sort of, you're seeing that with the pandemic happening, it's sort of people who have skills, either teaching people online and getting paid for it, whether it's on platforms like Patreon or selling courses around like sort of like the skills that they have. And I feel like the pandemic is, also allowing people to lean into their strengths of sort of creating their own businesses for themselves. Yeah, you have seen a lot more of that, whether it's because people have the time and they're at home more, or there's a lot of people too who have lost their jobs and turned to that. So, right. So can you talk a little bit more about the types of content you're focusing on building now in terms of that kind of basic financial literacy that you were talking about and what type of content from an accessibility perspective that you're looking to create? Yeah. So something that I'm really proud of on on the platform. So Instagram has a guides feature that sort of rolled out in 2020. Initially, it was only available to certain verified accounts, but now it's available to the majority of people. Um, So when you go to my page, you can actually look at my highlights and you see an investing highlight and I have an investing guide. And it's sort of like, beginner, beginning investor starter pack, something like that, something to get you started. And I have a description saying like, hey, use this to start, (laughs) essentially. Hard thing for so many people is just knowing where to start. Exactly. So it sort of just starts from like a mindset of like, hey, to start to build wealth, to start investing, you don't necessarily have to know how to read charts. I started investing and did not know how to read charts. Um, I actually started using a robo-advisor. Because I, I just knew I should start. I was uncomfortable learning all the ins and outs. So I was like, hey, I learned that Betterment was cool. So I opened a Betterment account for my Roth IRA. Um, and, but back to the guide, I'm very proud of that because it sort of takes you through mindset, sort of, especially if you're investing for the long term. So this is more of a long term investor starter pack. Sort of the things that you need to know from a mindset perspective to not necessarily get scared when the value of your portfolio dips. 
um, as well as diversification, the importance of index funds of that nature. And then it breaks you down, it go, it walks you through sort of investment accounts. Um, so what's interesting is sometimes I'm in a conversation with someone, it's almost like, well, should I invest in index funds or a 401k? And I'm like, no, you buy index funds in a 401k. And here's why it's important to, to start with your more tax advantage accounts. So it sort of takes you through there. It takes you through, well, what happens if you don't have, for instance, a 401k or an employer retirement account? It also takes you through sort of like the investing order of operations. So it's really, my goal is to build around themes. Investing is a growing theme. I also like to probably at least once a week talk about mindset, sort of like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be investing or paying off debt. You can find a middle ground. Um, I also offer on my platform a budgeting spreadsheet that I use and I love just because spreadsheets are my thing. Um, and it's helped some people. So I made it available. There's also a lot of um, public information around sort of also how I think. So I don't have student loans anymore. Um, it was recently announced how um, student loan forgiveness is not necessarily in the budget in the United States for the foreseeable future. And I walked through on my stories, what would I do if I had student loans? Like knowing that the president values student loan forgiveness of $10,000, what would I do if I had more than $10,000? What would I do if I had less, right? If I had less, what I would do is continue to make the minimum payments, hoping that the student loan forgiveness comes soon and they pay off the rest. If I made more, still continue to make the minimum payments, pay more on my student loans if it made sense in the next part of my debt payoff journey, meaning I don't have credit card debt or this is next in my snowball order, whatever that means. So I like to definitely go on and be a bit more hands-on and say like, hey, y'all, here's what we're going to learn about today. Hope you enjoyed this mini tutorial. So sometimes it can be a bit impromptu, I would say. And I like the impromptu because sometimes I feel like I'll go in content plan and I feel moved to talk about something else. Or let's say someone asks me a question in my DMs and I use it as an example of sort of a, a lesson to learn for everyone. So I'm definitely very interactive in that sense. Rosemary, you've talked a lot about index funds. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on mutual funds? Right. So what's interesting, and I think what's um, very common, when we think about index funds, we only think about exchange-traded funds, ETFs, right? Um, however, what's interesting about index funds is that they could be mutual funds as well. So what makes an index fund an index fund is it being passively managed. So I'm actually pretty indifferent if it's a mutual fund or ETF because I'm a long-term investor, so I just buy and hold. Right. Okay. So maybe the right question is, do you have a preference between passive management and active management? Yes. I'm definitely a passive girl. Um, being that I am a long-term investor as well, I want to save as much on fees as possible. Um, just because I want more of my money to go towards my investments and less towards paying the people who are constructing my portfolio. Um, so I'm a long-term investor. I hold index funds because they are diverse, because they don't cost as much. And um, I it's very low risk just because it's interesting. I think the other day on my platform, I talked about how on payday, I invest in thousands of companies on payday. And the way that I do this is buying index funds. I own a piece of Google. I own a piece of Microsoft. 
I own a piece of Tesla. I own a piece of Toyota. Um, it's all of that just by buying one or a few single index funds. Right. You're um, not going and actually buying Google stock, Tesla stock. No. Yeah, exactly. So every payday I have a strategy. All I do is invest on payday. I don't necessarily look at if the charts are up or down, what's going on there. I just continue to invest. So I would say, especially if you're looking to invest for the long term, passively managed funds, whether they're ETFs or mutual funds, are a better route because you will save money on fees and more of your money will go towards your investments. Yeah, that's amazing. Can you talk a little bit more about that middle ground of having debt but still investing. I feel like so many people who have debt are focused on paying it off and they don't even think that they could even start investing or they don't even let themselves think about investing until they get their debt paid off. So doing both at the same time. Yeah. Ultimately, I believe like where the line falls depends on your comfort level. I think that at minimum, always get your employer match. Um, So given that you are contributing to an employer retirement plan, such as a 401k or a 403b. And if you put money into the account and your employer is giving you a certain percentage back, I think definitely start there um, while you tackle your other debt. Um, And for me, I, I feel like I understand if you put all your money towards your debt, if it's high interest debt, credit card debt, double digit percentage. I also feel like once it gets to five to seven percent, it depends on your comfort level, right? Because if you have a diversified portfolio and you're investing in something like a total market index fund, typically year over year, I'm going to be conservative. It at least earns 7%. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have a breakdown on my on my Instagram as well. It's also part of that investing guide of like, what do you do? Invest or pay off debt. Um, when you have a... Um, interest rate on a debt that is higher than what you expect to receive while investing, um, you will essentially pay more in interest than you will make investing. And the reverse is also true. So if you're expecting to return and investing is higher than your interest rate, let's say it's a 2% or 3% student loan, you'll make more money investing than you will saving that money in loans. And the reason why is because the way that our debts are structured, especially when it comes to installment loans, such as car loans or um, student loans, is that you are prepaying basically your lender. So you'll save money um, by paying it off early. But after a certain point, and that's why it's very important to sort of play around with the debt payoff calculators, the amount of money that you're paying or that you're saving in interest decreases over time just because the payments are interest heavy up front. So it's all of those things to consider um, when you're deciding, do I want to put this extra money towards my debt or investing? Um, but I like the interest rate approach. I'm also a big advocate for sort of the um, sort of the uh, emotional approach. Like if this debt really makes you angry, then it makes you emotional, then take the time to pay it off. But at minimum, please get your employer match given that it's offered to you. It's so funny because when I, when my husband and I first consolidated our finances, it was around the same time that we were um, renewing our, or he was renewing his mortgage um, on our now, I guess what's considered marital home. 
but we were having this discussion about should we you know up the payments because the bank gave us the option of doing like the normal payments plus 15 percent and my initial response is of course we should be like we should be paying off our mortgage as fast as possible and this was a few years ago but we ended up in this completely heated and irrational discussion about mortgage payoff because my whole life I'd been told by my parents, pay off your mortgage as fast as possible. You don't want to have a mortgage. You want to be mortgage free, you know, pay off your mortgage as fast as you can up your payments, double your payments, whatever, get rid of your mortgage, which had just been so ingrained into my head. But when they were paying their mortgage, their interest was like what? 12, 15, 20% versus Mm -hmm. our mortgage at the time, which was like one and a half. And he was like, no, Joe, if we, we should be paying as less as we can here because it's like 1% and we should be so putting low. everything in the, in our investments, which are making eight, nine, 10%, whatever. But I, it was so ingrained in my head. I was like, no, what do you mean? We're not going to, what do you mean? Of course we have to pay off our mortgage. And it was just like the most, Eventually we got there and he explained it all to me and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. We shouldn't be. (laughs) Well, it comes back to that mindset piece and the different money stories that you're picking up in your childhood or your formative years. So absolutely. Well, yeah. Sometimes you really have to look at that Excel spreadsheet and just say, okay, like what is actually the difference? Yeah. Oh shoot. I'm wasting out on a ton of potential interest by paying off my mortgage, which has the lowest interest rate I could ever ask for. Right. But to your point, Rosemary, if like if you're the type of person that hates debt and like cannot have that hanging over you and it's making you miserable, if you can't change that mindset, then it may make sense to focus on that and get it paid off. So, yeah. But I also feel that sometimes being on a journey can feel exhausting if you don't also allow yourself to enjoy sort of what you've earned in life. Um, mm-hmm. so it's sort of like, imagine yourself being on a debt payoff journey, you pay off tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And next, you know, it's the house, the house is a big thing. And it's sort of like, I'm definitely not against it. I also agree that look at the interest rates, understand like, where, what do you want to do? I don't own a primary residence as a home. Um, and I don't necessarily know if I want to actually. Um, but I definitely agree believe that especially whatever journey you're on, if it's a debt payoff journey, if you're trying to build your investments, still allow yourself to treat yourself right. Go buy that facial, go get your favorite food, get yeah. your nails done. Stop cutting out avocado toast. Yeah. Yeah. Eat your avocado toast, get some everything. Buy that latte. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think being too restrictive just, it doesn't work. No. Absolutely. Just like if you were on a, a restrictive diet, it's not fun and then you crash and then you just eat everything that you could have just ate in moderation. Exactly. So true. And all the culture about spending right now is like, cut, 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 cut. Stop spending, yeah. stop spending. It's like, we need to spend to live. We might as well just be more selective about where we spend. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of like, what brings you joy? Um, will this make that. me happy? But I do think it's important to understand your spending triggers as well. Um, so oftentimes we find that we reward ourselves when we're, you know, we got a promotion or we did really good at work. And we also like maybe self-soothe by spending sometimes. So that can be mm-hmm. spending on clothes or shoes if shoes is your thing or buying your favorite treat. Um, and that's also important to understand as well. So there's so many things to keep in mind, allowing yourself to live but also making sure that your triggers aren't 
what's ruling you and your spending as well. So I'm definitely not with the whole like cut everything, stop spending, build your net worth to a hundred thousand as quick as possible. And then you can chill. Like, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not enjoy that way. the journey to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love the story that you told about your, your girlfriend who you like helped look at their spend and then they figured out, Oh, like I can actually afford to do this and that. And we always joke about like the question, like, where is all my money? Nobody seems to know where their money is. Like we all spend it in a thousand different places and none of us can find it. Right. But then when we actually look at it, it's like, holy man, I'm wasting a ton of money. If I just mm-hmm. stop wasting money, I have so much more left yeah. over. The lattes might make me happy. So I'm going to still spend my money there, but there's all these other things that I don't care about where I'm spending my money that I could cut and not have negative. Wouldn't impact your life at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something that I've done. So I'm not the greatest cook. Um, and I also love Mediterranean food. So I just tend mm. to eat out when it comes to Mediterranean. Um, and I live close to a Mediterranean spot. So that's not good for my wallet. Yeah. So what I try to do now is stop eating out alone. So use eating out as a shared experience. So I have a budget for eating out every month and I'm trying to spend less time getting quick food, fast, casual food, getting cookies from my favorite cookie place and more using that budget for when my friend wants to hang out and go out for dinner or go out to lunch or to go out to brunch. And I find that since those times are so infrequent, I spend less when I just like reserve it for that type of experience. You're being really intentional about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like what brings me joy. Cause I, although I love the Mediterranean place, I get the same thing like every time I go compared to when I'm going out with a friend, I can be going to a new restaurant and like I'm also having this new experience of being at a new place, being with one of my close friends. So that's sort of a hack that I do. And it, it does say a good money. hack because I feel like, yeah, you're telling yourself, okay, I could spend this on like takeout or getting it myself, but it would be so much more fun to keep that and spend it on like a social experience instead. Yeah. Reframing. Yeah. So what has been most surprising to you? Like that you've either personally experienced or that something that you continuously hear from the women that you talk to and are helping Um, What's been most surprising in this journey for you? I would say sometimes it could feel like, especially when you're in the process of growing a platform, it can feel like you're sort of speaking to yourself and you can question like, is this work really being valued or is it needed? Um, And I find that, you know, in fact it is, as I mentioned earlier, sort of like, the understandings of how credit works and when you're being charged interest or not. Or even I asked, I got asked the question of when do you get taxed twice on your investments? And I never thought about this of sort of like when you put money into a tax advantage account, such as a 401k, and let's say it's tax deferred. So, you know, you only pay taxes when you withdraw and, and let's say you don't withdraw early. You get taxed once on that money, right? Towards the end when you withdraw, as you withdraw. But let's say you put your money into an individual account, a brokerage account like a Robinhood, or you open a TD Ameritrade account that's not tax advantage, it's not a healthcare savings account, or it's not a 401k Roth RA. Um, that money has been taxed already before it came into your paycheck, and it will be taxed again by a capital gains tax. 
So it's interesting, like as you continue this work and journey and as you just maybe even talk about just different topics, I find that sort of I'm challenged in different ways to think in ways I never thought before, because sometimes I feel like I take my knowledge for granted. Um, so it's interesting. I, I, I guess like the most surprising thing that I learned is that this work is really needed. And that's the importance of a podcast like this or a platform like mine. I love that. And it's always a journey, constantly learning. I mean, I feel like I think I was saying to Joe the other day, like it's been so amazing talking to the, like all the different people that we've had the privilege talk to because we've learned so much. And one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast was we feel like women don't talk about money enough, you know, with their girlfriends. And it's such a missed opportunity for learning, right? Like you can learn so much just by hearing other people's experiences and talking about it. And so I love that. And there's always like, even sometimes we find we're like, oh, are we going to be talking to like these people about the same things? And everybody has, even if they're talking about the exact same thing, whether it be college or credit cards, everybody has a different experience and therefore different learnings, which is really cool to hear kind of like trickle out. Yeah. Yeah. And Jules, you mentioned um, something that just reminded me. So earlier you, you both asked sort of like, what do I think is needed from a systemic standpoint to close the wealth gap or make wealth more accessible to others? And I think given that, as you mentioned, women don't often talk about money, it's also sort of like pay transparency and also legislature that does not, or sort of that penalizes companies that penalize people for sharing their income. And it's not only something that women should be doing, sharing their income with each other, their coworkers, to make sure they're being equally paid. It's also men who should be sharing it as well to make sure that when you're being offered a job or when you're being considered for a promotion, that you know which your peers who are doing the same type of work as you is getting paid as well. And I think that that will also make a difference from a policy standpoint. It's so true. I think we literally just talked about this a few days ago, but like how can you go in and negotiate a salary if you have no idea what people in that role are making? If you're the first person in your group of friends or your family to have that type of job, how do you know? Right. You don't. There's no reasonable way that you can if the information isn't available. Mm -hmm. So if it's not going to be published, somebody's got to start yip yapping about it. Speaking, yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you see, like, in terms of, obviously you said, like, you're surprised by some of the questions you've gotten and you've been learning and it's definitely needed. Do you see themes in terms of, like, the biggest challenges that the women that you've been helping are facing or like the top concerns that they bring up? All right. So a few things, a bit is around the mindset of feeling like I can only do X or Y. I can only pay off my debt or send money to investments. I would say there's also a fear of investing and it's more of being not understanding, which is something I've also felt. So what's interesting is that Mm -hmm. In one of my first internships, um, when I was a college student, I had a coworker who was in his 20s, older than me. And he mentioned, he was like, you should open a Roth IRA. Like when you start work, and I guess it was maybe the the wording that he used. He was like, when you start working. 
And so I knew what a Roth IRA was briefly. I just knew like, he sounds like he knows what he's doing with his money. I should be doing this as well. And I guess that's something like, it's it's interesting because it's sort of like, I thought that just because I was a college student, I could not open a Roth IRA. And that like, it had to be something that when I had like a big girl job for some reason, I, I don't know why I just felt that, right? So it's sort of like, and even when I had that information, even when I started to learn, I still had this fear because it was sort of like being the first in my family, not exactly understanding how the stock market works. I would say that's some challenges for people to overcome sort of like around the mindset of, you know, figuring out how can you balance your goals and also what you want to do with your life and how you spend money as well as overcoming sort of the fear around starting. Yeah, that makes sense. So our last question, like our first question, is something we ask everybody. And it's, what is something you wish you knew sooner about money? It can be literally anything. Something I wish I knew sooner. I would say investing. I wish that when I started my job, when I was 18, 17, 18, preparing for college that I invested some of that money Same. and that like as I was working in college I was investing some of that money it's interesting because I was an economics major in college me too um, <laughs> Jules but when it came to econ I, I don't know about you Jules but I wasn't really into macroeconomics I thought it was boring <laughs> yes same <laughs> I thought it was very boring and I preferred more of the microeconomics of behavioral I love micro. Yes. Yes. My favorite class was like a health economics course of like, how do you respond when insurance is this price and things of that nature. So more behavioral and people, people based. Um, so basically I, I sort of gotten by for my macro classes. Um, I remember there was one course where it was around investing and to me, it was just too confusing. So I dropped the course and just changed it. Um, but I wish that I had maybe a bit more friendly resources to, to sort of enter. And I would say my starting with investing besides my 401k was my Roth RA. And I used an advisor, a robo-advisor, Betterment. And I would say something that I really like about Betterment and other fintech companies is they are making it very user accessible, very Gen Z and millennial friendly. It looks very pretty. They use very simple language. There's not a lot of jargon. And I feel like I just wish I had that at 18 and I would have started. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, the same, like, I just, I felt like it was just something that like older people did. Like I just assumed that while I was in school, like nobody around me was investing, but I'm sure that's not the case. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's great advice. I mean, we all know that there's a big difference between starting at 18 versus like 28 or right. 30 or and 20 it's versus also 30. It's important to know like why it matters. So like for me, once I started to consume personal finance, information it clicked for me but I was in a conversation with someone the other the other day and they were like well why why should I invest for retirement I don't get why or they also thought like saving for retirement meant like putting money in a bank account right because like the concept of inflation wasn't understood by this person so it's just I think about sort of like what I wish I knew sooner and I also just already had sort of like an interest, a lean, I lean towards this space. And for people who may not feel 
a part of the space are probably a bit alienated. I feel like they, we have a lot of work to do to sort of like bring them along with the journey of sort of having them understand of like, you know, why should you invest in, why should you start with your retirement accounts? In the United States, the way that I tell people is um, typically by the time that millennials are eligible to receive Social Security, so our oldest millennials who are 40 right now, um, essentially Social Security will be paying out about 70% of benefits. <laughs> and if you think about like how how much that is, if you look at the dollar amount, it's pretty low. So I, I say like, think about like what you want to do when you're that age, like do you want to just get by or do you want to be able to do more things? And like, what are those things? Right. Mm-hmm. And if we start now, we can have money to make sure that we're prepared and have social security supplement. Cause it won't go away. It will exist. It just won't be something that may be able to fund the life that you quite frankly deserve. Yeah. After you put in all those years. Yeah. It would just suck to dream about all the things you're going to do in retirement and not be able to do any of them. So. Right. Rosemary, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We had a blast getting to know you. Thank you so much, Jules and Joe. This has been definitely a pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.